In our study of the book of Jude, two weeks ago we began uh, by noticing again the purpose of the letter Jude was writing uh, as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, though he, he states he is uh, the half-brother of Jesus that we know him to be, but he rathers to view himself as that bondservant of Jesus Christ. And as he was writing to the Christians in his local area, to the church at large, so to speak, it's as though the moment he began placing quill to parchment, that he realized because of what was going on around him, he needed to exhort those Christians to contend for the faith that certain men had crept into the the body of believers that he was writing to, to the body of believers um, collectively, and that these individuals slipping their way into the church were perverting the gospel. They were changing uh, what was true and clear from the lips of our Savior And throughout the letters of his apostles, these men were perverting the gospel, turning the grace of God into lewdness, denying the Lord God, denying even Jesus Christ. And we saw last week, as we looked at uh, God's justifiable consequence for someone who once adhered to the faith but willingly uh, knowingly and uh, clearly defects if you will it's called apostasy leaves that which they once adhered to to change now what they embrace as true, particularly as it relates to salvation and the gospel message, that God has a judgment for them. Jude gave examples of the judgment that awaits them. Jude gave these individuals um, clear names. He called them dreamers in verse 8. He called them uh, ones who speak evil in verse 10. And we, we looked specifically last week at the root causes of apostasy. Big word, but the root causes for someone, you know, leaving the faith and going on to their own version of Christianity and believing that they're justified in doing it. And we saw that there were three main root causes. According to verse 11, when, it's, when he wrote uh, that them, he says, they have gone the way of Cain, run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. We, we studied deeply last week that the three things that often are a root cause are anger at God, Remaining angry at God for the circumstances that surround the life and disagreeing with God's 
prescribed, written, and spoken way in which an individual can be accepted in the beloved. The Lord told Cain, he said, why is your countenance fallen? Why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain's choice to not accept God's uh, specific way in which to be accepted led to literal murder. And so anger in the heart, being angry at God and refusing to just surrender. A second motive, of course, root cause was manipulation. We looked at the error of Balaam. And what that taught us is that an individual at times can, an individual who has at once adhered to the faith as we know it, um, can begin to want to manipulate circumstances or manipulate people in order to get what they want when God has clearly said no to it. God speaks and he tells an individual no to a specific relationship, no to a specific uh, career path, no to a specific uh, way in which to live. And the, the individual says, well, but I want that. And so they manipulate the situation or even people, which can eventually just lead a person away from the faith. And lastly, at the rebellion of Korah, was simply a rejection of God-ordained authority in, a, in an individual's life, refusing to acknowledge that authority because the individual wants glory for themselves. Unchecked pride in rejecting authority, manipulating circumstances or people, and anger at God which is rooted in an unwillingness to accept God on God's terms. Jude goes on, if you'll follow with me in verse 12, he says, These are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Also saying that behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. By direction of the Holy Spirit, Jude makes it clear who these are. And then in this book that we've called A Warning for Then and Now, Jude turns the corner, which is so beautiful uh, that the Spirit of God would do that and so important and necessary in our lives. Jude 
turns the corner as the Spirit of God turns him to now write to those Christians, but you. And if you look at verse 20, we read it together. That, that first word, but, always signifies, it is in what we call inductive Bible study, a contrasting word. Whenever you see the word, but, in Scripture, it means that we are now going to look at something in contrast to what was in front of it. And that's when Jude says, but you, beloved. And he goes on to lay out what I will call uh, six building blocks for the Christian life. He's laid a clear um, decree of what's happened to those who have left the faith. He's given a, a clear evidence of, of why they've left, how they've left, and what will happen as they leave. Their effect on the body of Christ is vile. And he says, but you. And he lays out these six, what I will call building blocks for the Christian life so that his reading audience, and thus thousands of years throughout the inception and the continuation of the New Testament church, every reading audience can know what the Christian life is to look like. The first that he gives us is there in verse 20 when he says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. We'll spend the rest of our time looking at these verses 20 through 25 this morning, but it should be taken note that the word building there has to do with edifying. In its language form, it is what we call uh, present active imperative. So it's a continuing action that goes on and on and on and on, never stops. So the first building block in this Christian life is a continuous building up of one's faith, to edify one's faith, to build one up, uh, oneself up spiritually in order to get strong. Remember Paul when he was writing to uh, the Christians in Ephesus, he knew that those Christians there would need to be built up very strong. Remember what Ephesus was. It was uh, the, the hub of Diana, uh, the goddess of fertility. It was a, a sailing port. And so the in and out of sailors that had been out to sea for long uh, periods of time coming to this very busy business port that had the worship of a fertility god which often involved prostitution. Paul, when he came to Ephesus, he didn't say, man, this place is unholy. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere where it's nicer. No, he said, 
there's an active work of Christ here, and I'm going to stay. And he stayed for quite a while discipling the church that is there. When we get to the book of Revelation, which we will start next week, we get into the letters to the churches. The first is to the church of Ephesus. And so it, it's important to recognize, beloved, that we need to continually be building up our faith. And how does that happen? Of course, we're told in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and at that hearing, the word of God. In other words, there's a purpose why we gather Sundays, Wednesdays, to open up the word of God and place ourselves under it. And that's not the only way in which we're built up, but it is certainly one way to, uh, what I like to say is to sit, serve, and surrender. It starts by sitting sitting under a solid, expositional, book-by-book, verse-by-verse teaching of the Word of God so that you have a, a, a grasp on the whole counsel. Topical messages have their place, but they will not grow a Christian. They will speak to specific aspects of life, but you and I grow line by line. And I can't uh, exhort us enough this morning how necessary it is to listen to the scriptures, be taught the scriptures, sit underneath solid teaching, whether that's me or another uh, Calvary Chapel pastor or someone else, and allow the scriptures to be unpacked and opened to you and I so that we're sitting and our faith is being built up, serving, continuously finding a place where this faith that we have can be lived out, fleshed out. Whether that's uh, going down to a homeless shelter in Stockton or Sacramento, uh, gathering you know, Christmas shoe boxes for Samaritan's Purse, or going to a local Thanksgiving feast and sharing the love of God, or just helping a neighbor who needs help. That's how we serve the Lord, by serving in his name. And then we talk about surrender. That is when we come to the truths of Scripture and we find God putting his finger thumb or hand on an area in our life that we know he wants to work on. That instead of pushing that aside, we surrender to it. To the Ephesians, Paul wrote, he said, speaking of Christ, he gave himself some, and he himself gave some to the church to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until Ephesians 4 verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or a complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, talking about being built up, he recognized that not everything that an individual is invited to do or be a part of or take part in is, is good or edifying to a Christian. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, he said, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So you and I here in this great land of America, I mean, we have a plethora of choices of entertainment, activity, society. What do you want today? Remember, uh, what was that painter? You can have anything you want here, little world. Who was that guy? Yes. Bob Ross. And I think to our discredit, is that at times in the church we take the Bob Ross approach to our Christian faith. You can have anything you want in your little Christianity. Take this, take that, take the other. But do those things that we partake of, engage in, or go and do, do they build us up spiritually? That's the question. Thank you, Bob Ross, for that illustration. If you take nothing away from this morning, you can, you'll probably remember that. So the first is, the first building block. You know, we come to faith in Christ. We uh, acknowledge Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, not an archangel, not some created being. He is God incarnate. died upon a cross for the penalty of my sin, asking him to forgive us of that sin and take up residence inside our lives by the Holy Spirit that we know we have eternal salvation, not only there, but abundant life here. We begin to build on that. The foundation is Christ. And we, we are to continuously be building ourselves up in our faith. Second block. The second block is a constant praying in the Holy Spirit. There in verse 20, the second half, he says, building up on uh, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And I researched several versions, you know, ESV, NSV. NIV, so forth, so forth. And most of the ones that I would call very authoritative use the word in, uh, not on, but praying in the Holy Spirit. And so what does that mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Simply stated, it would mean that our prayer life, your prayer life and mine, is seeking to be in harmony with the Spirit of God. 
And the Spirit of God being the third person of the triune Godhead, the third person of the triune Godhead is concerned about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And the things that pertain to the kingdom of God as they, as they find their way down here to planet Earth have to do with the saving of souls. The character of Christ. Life in his church. And so I think what I would submit to you this morning is that this praying in the Holy Spirit is that our prayer life is not restricted to any one place or any one way, but that our prayer life is to embrace every area in which we walk, whether that's work, family, relationships, community, and that we're praying in harmony with the Holy Spirit and that that praying in the Holy Spirit can happen when I'm on my knees uh, alone in my prayer corner. It can happen here collectively as we come in and we, we um, corporately begin to pray together. It can happen in your car as you're driving and you, you want to just start talking to God and, and somewhat praying. And it can be an, uh, a place in which the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer allows that believer to pray in tongues. Paul spoke about this, that kind of praying in his letter to the Corinthians when he dealt with the gifts of the Spirit to those who are baptized in the Spirit. And he talked about uh, praying in the Spirit. He said, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15, he said, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Well, what better way to build ourselves up spiritually than to pray in tongues if the Lord has given that to uh, an individual? We're told in Scripture, you know, that the gifts and the callings of God are without revoke. He doesn't take them away. And that he has given gifts to men. Every individual uh, that comes to faith in Christ is given a variety or various gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some have tongues, some not. We're told, do all speak in tongues? The uh, logical answer as you read through that passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 14, and 15, is that no, not all do, but all can. And here Paul says, if I pray in the Spirit, my uh, understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding. In other words... A constant praying. Second block. Third block. Actively keeping yourself in the love of God. Actively keeping yourself in the love of God. I love what David Guzik writes concerning this because it helps uh, me, I hope it helps you, uh, really concisely understand that, that statement. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. There in verse 21, he says, we know that God loves even the ungodly. God does. Romans 5, verse 6. God loves all mankind. So therefore, what Jude is talking about here, he doesn't mean that keeping ourselves in the love of God is subjective to living a life that pleases God. That was my paraphrase. Let me just read this. Therefore, Jude doesn't mean live in such a way to make yourself lovable to God. Instead, to keep yourself in the love of God means to keep yourself in harmony with God's ever-present love. One of the fundamentals of the love of God, talk about keep yourself in love of God. One of the fundamentals of the love of God, and, and maybe I'm going to share this with everyone this morning, those of you watching it, oh, maybe you know this already. It's like, okay, Art, but I've already understand this. But there might be one person that needs to hear this this morning as it relates to God's love for them. And I will turn you to Romans chapter 8. You can go to the left in your Bible just a little bit. Romans chapter 8. For we read something very important about the love of God in verse 35 and verse 38 and 39. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Paul writes and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It's a question. And those are, uh, those are viable things. But look down to verse 38 as he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate us from the love of God? According to Paul's text, nothing. So then why would Jude, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put in this letter to the Christians that one of the building blocks of their life is to keep themselves in the love of God when nothing can separate us from the love of God? My answer to you and us this morning, and you know, this is one of those places where those of you who know your Bible so well come up usually after and say, all right, you could have said this, you could have said that, you could have said the other. And that's, you know, that's what I love is that you guys are reading your Bible and you know it. But here's my, this is my submission, okay? My submission is this, is we can forget how much God loves us. Hasn't separated us from his love but we, in essence, separate ourselves 
from the reality of his love when we begin to question his love, doubt his love, and not live in the fullness of his love for us, which was expressed through Christ on the cross. He loves me. Hallelujah. Can you say that? He loves me. And to know that God loves you and to never forget it, no matter what finds you in life or what you find in life, to know that God loves you is keeping yourself in the love of God, praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up spiritually. Fourth block. Verse 21 also, second half, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The fourth block I would call a resolve to always be looking for Christ's mercy. To always be looking for God's mercy. Whether that's needed in your own life, my own life, or in others, to look for God's mercy. At times, these spiritual eyes of ours can become critical of others. You know, one of my favorite statements, I know nobody here has ever been critical of another Christian. But to look at another individual through merciful eyes, the merciful eyes of God, always looking for Christ's mercy in yourself and in others. The psalmist writes, Psalm 2611, uh, but as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me and be merciful to me. We know who wrote that. David absolutely relied upon the mercy of God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 86.3, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Psalm 119, verse 58, I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. And Jesus, speaking about being merciful to others, which would include seeking God's, looking for God's mercy upon your own life, Jesus wrote in Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36, he said, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Can you think of somebody this morning, right now, who, before you walked through those doors, you, were, you could find a way to enter and engage in argument with or, you know, seek to right their wrong. And yet these words remind us to be merciful. 
James put it this way, James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has uh, shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. Fifth block, we'll move quickly and seek to end this. A desire to share Christ's message. Look at verse 22. Jude, verse 22, he writes, On some have compassion, making a distinction. Verse 23, but on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This first fifth building block I would call a desire to share Christ's message. And there's two ways in which uh, that is spoken of here in Jude's letter. On some, you know, have compassion. Be compassionate toward them as you share your faith. Think of uh, not only Christ himself, but the apostles as well. Their compassion was mostly toward the unbeliever and the seeker. And they were always compassionate to seek, to bring them into an understanding of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how they can have the promise of eternal life. But the other way is sometimes you've got to snatch somebody by the coattail and say, hey, you're going to perish in hell. You better get right with God. Jesus' approach in that way was always toward the religious. Those who thought they had it dialed in with God. He was aggressive and spoke predominantly of the fear of God that they needed to be a reality in their life. On some have compassion, some save with the fear of God. This last building block, we'll wind it up this morning, always ascribing glory and majesty to God. Verse 24 and 5, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. To have the mindset that we want to always ascribe glory to God and majesty to God. Boy, you sure uh, did a good job on that meat counter today, Art. You did a great job. Ah, glory to God. He's the one who gave me the strength to do it. Remember those years working the meat counters? 13 years with Lucky, 13 and a half. And sometimes there were meat department heads that you could not please. You'd do everything right, and they'd say, you got to do it better. When someone would come along and give you a, a, a thumbs up for the way you were, are working or the job you've done or the way you've helped another individual... You know, you could, you and I, we could pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, I did do a pretty good job, didn't I? Or you could say, all glory to God. He's the one who gave me the strength. 
all majesty to God. He's the one who navigated this for me. Building, praying, keeping, looking, sharing, and ascribing. Building blocks for our life in Christ. As you go this week, may you and I take some of these uh, simple truths, timeless though they are, and remind ourselves to not just set them to the side but to embrace them and hold them and walk in them for God's glory. Next week, we begin the book of Revelation. So I'm going to encourage you to read chapter 1, and we'll, we'll start there. But will you close with me a word of prayer? Father, we thank you afresh for these things that we see in your word. Uh, the truth that binds us together as a body of believers. That reminds us that we're to be uh, building, sharing, keeping. Lord, we ask you to do those things in us this week that you would find us growing and maturing as a body of believers. And that we would find ourselves living in such a way that just blesses your heart. Enjoying your presence every day, every hour. Lord, you know every heart here this morning. You know our lives. You know what we need. Would you meet every need in Christ today, we pray. Trust you to do it this morning in Jesus' name.